<laughs> Shoot. I just hope it works. Like that's my biggest thing is I hope it works. How can it not work? Farzi, May 10th here. I'm wearing my Farwell for Hire t-shirt for our, our viewers on YouTube. Thanks for dropping it off. Um, why didn't you come say hi? Well, I got there and it was a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Mother's Day, in fact. And, and the place looked a little closed up. And, you know, I thought maybe, maybe, maybe Popper has gone to see Mama Pope. Maybe he's just having some quiet time because it wasn't too late in the afternoon. And I know sometimes after a Saturday night, you need a little time to recover. You might have been playing guilty on that Sunday. So I just thought, you know what? Drop dash. Did the dog bark when you dropped it off? Did not. Did not. Okay. Because the dog barked at one point in the afternoon, woke me up from my nap on the couch. <laughs> and I figured that may be when you dropped it off. But I'm glad you did because I wanted to wear it on the podcast. Uh, go to farwell4hire, the number four.com, and you can get your own t shirt. Thanks for doing that. I was going to wear one of my own today as well. Because earlier on the day of this recording, I was already out before I did my talk show doing some Farwell for Hire work. And it was like hard work. So it was a sweaty mess. And I thought I should clean up a little bit before I go on radio and TV and do my show. And anyway, at one point, I'll, I'll bust one out too. But yes, Farwell, the number four hire.com. And I got to tell you, Popper, you've never looked better, pal. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for the rest of the, the podcast during this month, I'm going to be wearing this shirt. So if anybody sees it and goes, oh, he's wearing that shirt again. Yes. And did I wash it in between? I don't know. That will depend. Hey, but you can anyway. get one of your own if you're yeah. so inclined, right? You want to look just, you want to look as good as Chris Pope, farwellforhire.com slash shop. It's pretty easy. Sometimes how, I even deliver. How's your month uh, going? You busy? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I am not cut out for this. I'm a broadcaster. Okay. You and I make no bones about the amount of effort that is required to do what we do. Yes, there are slightly different efforts required for different jobs, but as a friend of ours in this business likes to say, we ain't digging ditches. Well, I might as well be digging ditches because I could tell you some of the places that I've been already and some of the things that I've done and how sore my almost 50 year old back is right now, but it's all for a good cause. So let's go. I love it. Well, I'm sure you'll be busy the rest of the month. And if you're looking for an odd job, I'm sure I can find something around here to make a donation. I'm sure um, you will. How about that uh, serpent draft in the OHL to figure out the lottery? We did the, uh, the lottery to figure out who gets the top pick in this year's OHL priority selection. Did you watch it on YouTube? I didn't watch it on YouTube, but I did watch. And I was going to say, how about the London Knights social media channels trolling the rest of the league with the pressed number one jersey as if they were going to get the first pick? We've mentioned this recently, but it's worth mentioning again. Give them all a raise. Whoever is managing these accounts while nothing is going on on the ice, they're doing a great job. And I love seeing the teams go back and forth. And I love watching the London Knights Twitter troll the rest of the league and its fans. It's great. Well, I think their mentions probably went through the roof once uh, the draft started getting closer. And then they were like, holy cow, everybody just assumes that we're getting the first overall pick. This is hilarious. Let's just go with it. And it worked out really well for them. I was really happy for Roger Hunt because they got the second overall pick. And I think they really deserve it because I'm going to bring it up again. The Phil Tomasino trade, they got a rough deal about that. So they get at least the second overall pick. Yeah. Tell that to James Boyd up in Ottawa, who also was loaded for bear when COVID shut down the OHL. And they had certainly made some investments too, but... 
your point on that is well taken. And I couldn't help but have a chuckle because obviously our broadcast city is Kitchener. And I know Rangers fans are incredibly engaged in what's going on with the league. And they, I, I could just imagine them, you know, popping their popcorn, getting ready for the, the YouTube broadcast of the OHL draft lottery. And they might, they might have a cold drink beside them. And before the popcorn even cools, Rangers are picking 17th. Have fun with that one. Like it's just, it was almost for that it, it, in that sense, it was really anticlimactic. It was very much. So it was like, it just started and all of a sudden, well, that there's where the Rangers are. So you're like, Okay. Less than less than six minutes. That's what it took from the time they started picking lottery numbers to I was, the Rangers pick. I was watching it and I see Kitchener pop up and I'm like, as much as I would like London to get the first overall pick, because I think it would be funny, please let them pick right before the Rangers. Like right and then of course the next one up is the London Knights. And I started howling. I'm like, Rangers fans are gonna go to Tizzy. Like, of course, right before them. <laughs> and Lord knows that first round of London picks is going to be the stud player and fans forever are going to be calling into your post game show, complaining about the, uh, the ball dropping in London's favor. I, although I want to point out, didn't get much pub and it hasn't really brought in that many, I guess, superstars or stars into the OHL. Um, but the London Knights did get the first overall pick in the U 18 draft. <laughs> yes. So I just wanted to point out that they just might've just got the balls wrong. Flipped them. Isn't the uh, isn't the U eighteen draft kind of the uh, the Jonathan Yancis rule? After the Rangers yeah. went out and plucked him off the waiver wire, and all of a sudden, a year or so later, there was this conversation about eh, maybe we should, you know, these guys that got overlooked, we should give them another chance in some sort of draft, so that some teams don't have any sort of advantage over other teams in in bringing in these these quote unquote free agents. But what the, I, I I understand why. I just think it's silly. Because so what you're you want this draft to take place because you can't bring people to your team. Your scouts aren't doing a good enough job following these. Play- you know what I mean? Like I mean, anyway, regardless, um, it was fun to watch. And I like that the league did it. Yeah, I think it was, too. It was a great way to get people talking about the league in the absence of any other reason to yeah. talk about it, obviously, with the canceled season and whatnot. And how about the Sudbury Wolves turning into the Edmonton Oilers of the Ontario Hockey League? third first overall pick in seven years, beginning back in 15 with David Levin, followed, of course, by Quinton Byfield, and then whoever gets picked with the first pick this time around. So Wolves fans lose a first overall player in Byfield. He's done. And now they get another one right away. What are the chances, (laughs) right? Now just switch up your jersey. Now you got another first overall pick to watch for the next three or four years. What do you mean switch up your jersey? Like, let's say this... First overall picks, last name's Farwell. Well, you switch out the Byfield jersey for the Farwell jersey. I got you. And you still have your first overall pick on, on your back. I, I think you were... I think it'll be good. I think it'll be great for that city. Get a new rink in there. You got your first overall pick. Bingo, bango, bongo. Rocco Tulio. Is it you no know, Rocco? What's Jimmer's name? Dario. 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 Yeah. 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 Anyway, Rocco Tulio's in uh, Oshawa, right? That's right. Yeah. Who got second overall pick? But there you go. Yeah. I think, I think it'll be great for Sudbury. I thought you were you were dissing on their uniform for a second. Oh, I, I love the Wolves. Love uniform. their jerseys. Yeah, Peterborough's still the best in the league, by the way. I hate to say it, but the maroon and white is it's pretty. And sick. that the simplicity of that Pete's logo, absolutely love it. That's love fair. It. Always have. Yeah. Um, did you watch any of the under 18s? I, you know what, somebody asked me that the other day, and I, I must admit, 
two things. First of all, once the OHL season was canceled and we pretty much knew that was happening since January, uh, I kind of, I, I've really been paying less attention to junior hockey. And because the Leafs are having such a great year, I, my focus has been entirely on the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I only kept up with uh, the U18s through highlights and, and what I saw on social media, but 13 OHLers collecting that uh, gold medal with Team Canada, including, of course, the Kitchener Rangers' own Francesco Pinelli. And apparently Shane Wright is still pretty good at hockey. Very good, yes. Yeah. I think he set up a, a uh, goals record for the tournament, and he missed like three games. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what would he have done? That's my question. Connor Bedard looks fantastic as an underager in the dub. He was on that team. He played fantastic. But there was that Russian kid. I can't remember his name. He led the tournament in points. He's the same age as Bedard. And that it's going to be fun watching some of these young players come up through the ranks. Yeah, it really is. And if anything, it just makes me miss the season that we didn't get to have even more. Because you talk about Shane Wright, who criminally, we only get to see twice per season anyway you and i were just chatting offline away from this podcast about the inability to watch francesco pinelli develop in his draft year of course he was likely to be a first rounder to the national hockey league may still well be but you didn't get to see that and and these players that we just you know we may broadcast for the kitchener rangers but we love the league and and seeing the talent that's in it pober it's going to be it's going to be damn near two well, let's call it what, 18 months by the time we're back. It was March the 11th of 2020 when you and I were last broadcasting a game. It's crazy to think about how much time has gone by. Isn't it? I know. And I'm starting to go a little stir crazy over here. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm sick of this. Give me back in a rink, oh, you know? Give me back anything other than walking the dog. Because really, until Farwell for Hire started, and I found an excuse to go out and do a few other things, which is basically other people's spring yard work that they don't want to do, which is fine. It raises money for my charity. But sure. honestly, I'd, I'd go to work every day, and I'd walk the dogs twice a day, and that's it. I, I just want I want a change of uh, scenery. Please, I'll take Sudbury. I'll take North Bay. Let's go. I, it sounds so weird, but like now with these new restrictions in our province, I'm not being able to really do anything. You're just sitting at home like on Friday night, you know, Kate gets home from work and she's like, well, what do you want to do tonight? And I'm like, this, like, what else can we do? Like even going to drive somewhere like, hey, I thought maybe we could drive down to Niagara or Hamilton. What are you going to do when you're there? Nothing, nothing at all. Can't go (laughs) shopping. Like I'm going to go down to Niagara and go into Walmart. You know, it just, it's driving me nuts. And when you're a guy like me, you're going to be like, well, I'm going to need at least two washroom breaks on the way there. Where am I stopping? <laughs> Come on. Like, what am I going to do? Pull in right. behind the, the Tim Hortons and, you know, go on the parking lot yeah. and then use the drive through. And anyway, it's, it is, it's a crazy time, crazy time to be alive. It honestly crossed my mind on Sunday to get up and drive to Windsor just for Antonino's pizza and then drive home because it was something to do and would waste six and a half hours. Listen, I would drive three hours for that pie. A hundred percent I would. I thought about it. I'm like, am I just about to drive three hours each way just because I'm bored and there's nothing else to do for pizza? I thought maybe just go for a walk, Chris. It might be healthier, you know, <laughs> like, instead of sitting and then eating an entire pizza to yourself. Go for a walk. You know, we just mentioned Shane Wright's name a moment ago at the U18s. And that makes me think of another 
well, the, the most recent exceptional player prior to Shane Wright's arrival in the Ontario Hockey League. And that would be one Mr. Connor McDavid. I don't think we can allow this podcast to go on today without mentioning the 100 points in 52 games and how Connor McDavid is exactly where he belongs. And that is in the conversation among the very best players to ever play the game. This guy is some, I don't need to tell you this, but it, and, and I guess the reason I bring it up is because this is the Connor McDavid that we knew was Connor McDavid when we started watching him at 15 years of age. Yeah, there's no, <laughs> I, I tweeted out after he got his hundredth point that I still look back and, um, in his draft year, I was playing fantasy sports with a bunch of guys and I just sold my team off. I had a pretty good team, sold the guys off and I wanted to have no wins at all. I was tanking hard. And he's like, do you actually think like he's that good that you're willing just to tank your entire team? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> and I still laugh about it today because yes, he is that good. Like he was that good in junior and he's that good now. And he just, it seems like every year he just gets better. And that's the scary thing is that he's still like, I don't think he's in his prime right now. So he's still getting better. It's crazy. I remember watching him also in that draft year and interviewing him towards the end of the season and talking about this being, you know, the end of his three years in the OHL and thinking about what might be coming next. He's like, Oh, hang on. I, I might still be back next year. I'm like, okay, Mr. McDavid, right? if like, come on. But with that, that's true to character. And when you heard any conversation with him leading up to the potential 100th point, he's like, listen, if I get there, I get there. When I get there, I get there. It's all about team. It's easy. And I, I believe it. Like really he wants to be the best. There's no question, but he's not doing it for like milestone numbers. He just wants to go out there and be the best player on the ice. Every time he's on the ice. You know, when we're talking about him, I was just thinking about this COVID life and we're basically living a Connor McDavid life right now. He can't How's go any, he can't go anywhere. <laughs> Imagine him living in Edmonton and trying to go to Walmart, trying to go like, just pick up groceries. Good luck. Good luck. Edmonton is crazy about the Oilers. And then like this once in a generational player comes into a store or go, tries to go up for dinner. That, like that's not possible for him. I would, I would love to just watch his life for a day. What do you do? Like he must have somebody that has to go get him groceries or has a personal chef that just cooks for him. Right. Like he can't go anywhere. Even I walking just, his dog. I'm sure he gets stopped on the road. People go, Oh my gosh. Remember that picture of him in the airport with the yes. couple that was holding his arms and he looks so awkward. Like that's his life. I was going to say, I think it's kind of funny that you think Connor, Connor McDavid buys his own groceries because yeah. I guarantee you that. Well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe maybe he still does. But I, I seriously doubt you're going to have uh, Connor McDavid walking around the Safeway or the IGA out there in Alberta buying his own groceries. A nice dinner at a, at a good steakhouse, maybe? Sure. Yeah. But buying his own groceries, I doubt it. Imagine him trying to go to a movie. Like him and his oh. girlfriend just want, you want to go for, to a movie? Well, sure. But I have to call Cineplex, book out the entire building for our movie. I think that's what he would have to do. He might. Anyway, I was just thinking about that. This is basically his life. Stay inside. <laughs> and he works out a little more than I do, as you can tell. But my double chin, I've developed a little more. But... It goes It goes to show how much the pandemic is getting to all of us. Eh? You're sitting there thinking about, you know. If I were Connor McDavid, what would I be? Heck, I am Connor McDavid. I'm Connor McDavid, and I are like brothers right now. I am essentially Connor McDavid. Can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> Just look at me.
First thing I thought of when I looked at you, right? Pulver. First uh, did, thing I thought of. Did you see his 100th point? It was quite good. You know, it was it's a beautiful funny. pass. All I saw was the goal in the first 40 seconds. And I said, okay, tonight's the night. And yeah. that was it. Yep. That's I, all I needed. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't watching the game. And then I saw on Twitter, uh, my good friend, Nick Alberga, who does some work for sports. Now he tweeted uh, something about, well, 45 seconds in, he's at 97 or 97. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is happening tonight. Flick the game on. I want to see this. Yep. <laughs> crazy. It it's was. absolutely crazy. And his good friend, uh, Alex DeBrinket just underneath him in the goal scoring category in the NHL. So you've got Austin Matthews and then two former Erie Otters. What I love about DeBrinket, first and foremost, is that he's still doing it. Like it seemed like every time he did it, and that is score a whole bunch of goals, you thought it's some kind of fluke, even though he just consistently does it time and again. But my second favorite thing about DeBrinket is the story that former Erie Otters general manager Sherry Basson had told about first seeing Debrinket, you know, in Sioux, Michigan, in a snowstorm, not wearing any socks, not having boots, all this stuff. And when Sherry Basson was on this podcast, he told the story in the same way. So either he remembers all of his exaggerations or that's actually the way it happened. And I loved it. It, I sent it again, I sent a tweet out saying somewhere Sherry Basson is smiling at that. You know, McDavid and Debrinket right under, uh, right beside each other in the goal scoring race. And I'm sure on the West Coast, Aaron Cooney's firing up a 90s obscure rap reference. Rap reference. <laughs> no question that he right? is. Uh, so, Sherry Basson, when he came into the Ontario Hockey League, general manager of the Oshawa Generals, it's a former Oshawa General that joins us on the podcast this week. Uh, but more than that, it's the first player that joins the podcast by request of the OHL stories fans. So thank you to Lowell who sent in the email farwell and Pope at gmail.com to request the guest for this week. He said, you got to get this guy on the podcast. And so we oblige and boy, oh boy, we had a chat. Great storyteller. Uh, great guy. I think we had a 20 minute conversation after the podcast was, turned yeah, off, I think so. Yeah. Right. Um, just an all around great dude. Uh, one part of one of the greatest power plays the league has ever seen in Oshawa. Um, an OHL champion went to the Memorial Cup. We'll get that full story from a guy who scored 132 points in this league and wasn't taken that year until the 12th round in the National Hockey League. He followed it up with a 150-point year for the Oshawa Generals. We get the scoop from Scott McCrory. Well, Scott McCrory, as I look at the backdrop behind you here on our Zoom call, uh, a home and away Oshawa Generals jersey being well represented. Chris and I have long said uh, one of our favorite franchises in the Ontario Hockey League and continues to do it well when it comes to honoring its past and, and really having you know, continued to honor that past as it goes along. When you played for this team in the 1980s, the mid-80s, did it occur to you then the kind of franchise that you were a part of? No, I was, uh, I was a young, young boy growing up in uh, northern in Sudbury, Ontario. Um, fortunately for me, I was one of the first under-16 camps. It was the original under-16 camp, and I was coached by Paul Terry also. And I had a teammate on my team, Lee Giffen, who actually becomes my line mate my last year. And Giff uh, came pretty close with Paul, so I would follow them and, when they came into Sudbury, I met the team at the hotel and 
all these young guys with their heads shaved. I'm like, okay, now I understand this is part of the general's tradition, but the way that uh, Paul and Sherry and Chad O'Brien Boyce took care of the guys is unbelievable. And I said, you know what, I want to be part of it. And they kept talking. Uh, we talked a little bit, didn't even know they're going to draft me and came draft day. But once my name was uh, chosen by the generals that day at the Herb Carnegie Hall, I was ecstatic. For our listeners to this podcast and maybe people who aren't watching on YouTube, I can tell, I think I know the story behind the red Oshawa Generals jersey that's framed behind you. But what is, what is the story of both jerseys you have in your office there? Well, the red jersey actually is my jersey from my last year. Uh, Brian didn't give a lot, a lot of jerseys out, but mine, uh, because of, oh, I hate so pompous, uh, I have a couple records in Oshawa, so... Uh, <laughs> My my wife asked Brian to get it, and uh, we got it for my 40th birthday, and uh, she had it framed. And the one behind me is uh, we started a committee. There's a couple ex, uh, there's an alumni, a couple uh, business people, and a couple staff that have. Uh, we have 11 people now working on all the um, generals that ever played, guys that ever played for the generals since 889. So I I work for a company called Troy, and we. We had the jersey made up, and we're going to start auctioning them off. Uh, The five uh, retired numbers are going to be auctioned off first because we're going to have a suite at the Tribute Center to be used for uh, special needs groups like the hospital, uh, cystic fibrosis, diabetes. It's not going to be for alumni. It's going to have alumni uh, memorabilia in the room, and there'll be alumni there every night, but it's going to be used for for the region and the city to promote, help people raise money to, uh, for good causes. A bit of an aside here, but cystic fibrosis also very near and dear to my heart, Scott. How did you choose the charities that are going to benefit from this? We haven't chosen them all. We just, uh, each committee members put up a, um, a name that they would like to have done. Um, my father-in-law had cancer, so I like to give it to cancer. My dad died of cancer, so I like to give it to the cancer unity here at the hospital. We have another member that is a, a big diabetes person, so we're going to give that. There's a, the Rose of Durham. There's a very varying amount. Ian um, e. McNeil, a former player, has another charity. So each there's 11 members. Each member is going to be able to choose a charity. Then we're going to put it out to uh, a vote where people can apply for it and say, okay, here's we like it. Uh, we, most of us, Terry Johnson, who's our radio guy here in town, does the announcing. He's a big uh, Grandview Kids. Uh, my wife works with special needs children, so it's kind of dear to my heart that we'll donate a couple uh, sweets to the Grandview Kids to help them raise money as well. That's a great initiative. I like that. Um, you mentioned earlier about growing up in Sudbury. How weird was it when you get drafted to the Generals that your good friend Kay Whitmore is on the Peterborough Peets? Uh, <laughs> I guess you know a little bit about, about that. Kay and I grew up together. We went from uh, kindergarten to grade 10, uh, grade 10, he, uh, he got drafted to the Pete's. I went back to grade 11. I could have been on that team, but a lot of people don't know. My brother was the coach of that midget team and he actually cut me during the, during the training camp because my dad was president of seven minor at the time. And my brother was six years old and goes, uh, what are you going to do? What should I do? Dad? And he goes, you do what's right for you. Not what's right for yourself. Uh, he goes, you got to do what's good for you yourself not your brother sorry should have rephrased that but uh, Kay and I remain good friends um, 
we play, actually played together our first year of pro in Binghamton. Uh, we lived probably a, a kilometer away from each other, but a half a kilometer if you skate across the lake because we lived on the lake. So when the lake froze, we played pond hockey from one end of the one end of the bay to the other bay. So Kay's a great, great friend of mine. Uh, you know what? It's a great experience growing up in summer. We had 10 kids off our midget team draft and Kay would have been the 11th if he, he played that year with us. Cut by your brother. Uh, how did that relationship go in the short time after? Uh, it was kind of a kind of a, help, a love-hate relationship. Actually, my, the Big Nickel Hockey Tournament was started for me when I was 12 by my father. So uh, a team backed out in the that year. So our minor midget AAA team happened to play in it and uh, had to play against my brother's team. So uh, they had to beat us to get into the quarterfinals. And uh, we, we beat them. 5-3, and I had three goals. So every time I went by the bench, I just kind of chuckled at my brother. He wasn't happy. My brother's probably one of my best friends. Uh, <clears throat> he, was a, he was a tough guy, so I, I had to watch what I said because I might get the snot beat out of me when I got home. So I had to be careful. <laughs> Growing up in Sudbury, though, it wasn't all hockey. I heard you were pretty good uh, baseball and lacrosse player as well. Yeah, I played a little bit of uh, lacrosse. Um, after my first year in Oshawa, I, I wanted to go out for the Warriors, but um, Coach Terrio and Basson both said, you're going home to get back in shape. But I didn't tell, tell them when I went back to summer, I actually played senior A ball as an, uh, an 18-year-old. Uh, so I, I pitched, caught, and played third base on the, one of the Subway teams. There was two. Couldn't make the, the Shamrocks. It was, they were the boys' team. But Kay and I actually played on the Maslach the uh, secondary team in Sudbury. So it was kind of fun that way. That's the second time Sherry Basson's name has come up already. And he was a recent uh, guest on this podcast, Scott. I think actually we hung up on him, but he's still talking and, and we're going to just pick up where, <laughs> where he left off. What was he like as a, as a coach and manager? Uh, he, he was our GM and Bass was, is uh, a character. He had passion for the game. His, uh, I bet you if you talk to anybody that ever played for him, you can give him his mannerisms. You didn't have to be a rocket scientist. Or these quotes that he still uses. Uh, actually, in early November, I, uh, a former general, Norman Schmidt, had uh, had some surgery done at uh, St. Mike's Hospital. So I was picking up Norman, bringing him back, and Bass was hobbling along. He's got some bad hips. So pulled over, and sure enough, Norman and I are in a car, and he starts telling his stories. He's using the same mannerisms and saying quotations and Norm looks at me and goes, hasn't changed. I go, he never will. God bless him. And that's why we love him. Do you do a Sherry Basson impression? Oh, I, I can't do it. The one he does uh, would be a rated R. And he's, he's, he's tied. <laughs> what, what are some of those quotes that he, uh, that he was famous for? Some of his sayings that oh, Bass would always use. Well, like I said, you didn't, you, you didn't have to be a rocket scientist. You know, if you don't work hard and play hard, you're going to win. So, He'd always slap his hands like this. Got to be a rocket science. <laughs> we'd sit there and we'd just wait for it. To, like during the Memorial Cup uh, or Super Series, we would wait for quotes like that just to get us fired up. He'd come in and fire us up after Coach did. So it was good. Let's go back to that uh, last year in the O that you you rather humbly glossed over a moment ago. Yeah, you know. Held a couple of records there with the Gens. That year, you were the OHL scoring champion, too. And, of course, Oshawa got to play host to the Memorial Cup. Can you take us into that year, Scott, and, and what it's like knowing you're going to be there, obviously, at the end as the host, but the season 101 points that you guys put together? 
Yeah, it's it started off uh, the year we went in a training camp and uh, Coach Paul had called me and said, I'm going to put you, Derek King, and Lee Giffen together. And we're in training camp. We played it. We just played one exhibition game because Derek was the first rounder of the Islanders. Giff was the second rounder of Pittsburgh. And I had <clears throat> I was drafted by Washington, not until the 12th round. So we went to camp, came back, and I was the only one that came back out of the, out of the three because Giff was still at Pittsburgh. Uh, Derek was still in uh, in the island. So we played the first three games. I didn't have them. And it was, uh, for me, it was different because the year before I had Craig Morrison and Gary McColgan, and we clicked off. And I'm a type of guy that gets, when you get accustomed to playing with a certain uh, certain group of guys, you feel comfortable. Um, then Giff came back. Things started picking up. Our team started you could just tell in our dressing room, guys were getting better. Um, then Kinger came back. He showed us his, his first signing bonus contract at the back of the bus, and everybody got riled up. And then the biggest part for us was uh, Petri Matikainen finally came back from uh, Buffalo. Uh, a couple of guys drove across because Buffalo was supposedly Bassett told us that they were going to think about putting him in Rochester because being a Finnish kid, they didn't think there was any rules. So, Jimmy Pack and I think Gordon Murphy drove to the border, picked him up and brought him back. And so as soon as we got Petrie back, uh, our power play took off. And it just from there on, it just, it was just momentum for us. Uh, Christmas time, uh, World Juniors, none of us got selected to go to the World Juniors. So that kind of put a burr in uh, Gift Kinger on my side. Fortunately for me, my roommate, Mark Danielle, did get an invite to camp. So we were playing North Bay and we beat North Bay and it's kind of a, I made a quote earlier. I said, I, I chirped my brother when I went by the bench and all three of us kind of chirped uh, Bert as we went by the bench saying, thanks for not taking us. Good luck in, uh, good luck in Czechoslovakia. And that was about it. There's so much to unpack right there. This is, <laughs> that was yeah, who, amazing. Who chirps Bert Templeton? What? Yeah. <laughs> That's, well, yeah. Why don't you answer that? <laughs> everybody chirped Bert because Bert was, Bert was, great coach but he had a demeanor about him he, he just looked snarly looking and he was always some snarly he made some comments on the bench in the days when coaches could chirp a player or two he would make a quote and it was uh, really nice for us when we beat them in, to host the Memorial Cup and then when we won the OHL championship both gave him a little chirp and then at the Memorial Cup I had to go in for a uh, player of the year meeting and uh, Larry Maverty who I loved Matt was there with Bert, and Bert uh, goes, Scott, I just want to apologize. Thanks. You're a great hockey player. Thanks uh, for chirping me back. You kind of put me in my place. I said, you know what? It's part of the game. It's emotions. People don't understand it sometimes in the game. You get a little heated. You say things, and it's not it's not to be facetious or be vicious. It's just part of the game. You mentioned that power play. It is still one of the best power plays this league has ever seen. What made it so successful? What made it successful was that nobody was greedy. Um, everybody knew the role, and Paul had created 14 options off it, and people, people still ask me, so uh, what was your power play? Like I said, it's, uh, it was an overload, overload that went into a 1-3-1. We were actually the original 1-3-1 because Paul had coached in Germany, and, and, and he, was, he was so far ahead of his game. He, we did X's and O's like before anybody even thought about it. And we spent 30 minutes every every day practicing it. And we had one day was an hour just 
he put tires out and said, okay, move around. Petri was so dynamic and how he could get the puck. Uh, Lee was a great disher, banger. Um, Gordon Murphy could see the ice well, so well as well. So when Petri fed it across him, there was options to go across to all of us. Uh, and Derek just had such quick release and they got me the puck and I would try to get it to one or four of them score. And occasionally somebody took that option away, I, I would sneak it between the goalie's legs. 14 options on a power play is insane. That's crazy. Yeah, and well, we're doing a HP1 and Jody Hall was teaching power play. He goes, Scott, why don't you come up here and run? And I go, I can't tell you all the secrets, Jody, because you never know I might coach, coach <laughs> against you one day. So, Well, I wondered about that because so 14 options is bonkers. And then I, I wondered, even as Chris was asking the question, how much it has to do with personnel and how much it has to do and I think this might be the age-old question in sports or just in hockey you know how much was it was was uh, you know coach Terrio's systems that that helped you do that with all those options and how much was it the guys on the ice that were able to execute it's a combination of both uh the skill level was exceptional like I don't know if you guys remember Petri Petri was the one of the first Europeans in our league he had such skating and stick handling ability um, like I said, Gord had a great shot, played, I don't know, 15 years in the NHL. Uh, Derek, first rounder, gift, so, so skilled as well. But it was just, he, he made us work every option. We weren't stuck in just uh, Petri to Lee, to Scott, to Derek, or to Gord coming back door. It was, you had to work every option all the time. And it just became, okay, that's not there. Here you go. But he was, he was, uh, how would I put it? He was a perfectionist said, you got to work it. And then he go, okay, Ian Young was our goalie coach. Bring the goalies out. Let's work on it. And it worked. Uh, I, I, I believe we're still one or two in the, ever in the OHL percentage my last year. I think we were around 33.5%. So. <laughs> also crazy, Sorry. just for the record. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> That's London Knights yeah. territory almost, eh? Um. I, think, I think somebody said that we were better than that team with Corey Perry in them. That's crazy. But we, I, don't, I don't know if they kept stats, but we kept stats because, like I said, Paul was so far ahead. We had stats on our wall. We had goals. If we had 70, so many points in the 10-game segment, uh, power play was this, goals against, goals for. Uh, you know, it took it. Like, we had Jeff Hackett as a, as a rookie goalie with Sean Eboy as an overage goalie, and they were fighting each other internally to make sure they didn't lose the net. And they didn't want to feel bad if we gave up three goals in a game because they knew there was a bonus on the line for us. Like it was, a, it was a dinner, but it was still guys. We did everything together. We were such a group, good group of guys. Like uh, talking about the jersey, I sent a, a text message to a, a couple guys, and they fired off the other guys. Oh yeah, I scoop wide. I want two of my jerseys. I'm like, okay, good, no problem. That's just the the way it was in Oshawa. The way it continues to be is it's a family. You hear people talking, well, once a general, always a general, or that is truly here in, in, in Oshawa. We're all family. Like, if I go in to see Brian, Roger will say, hey, Scott, how's it going? It's just, it's just continued. You mentioned Scoop. Where'd that nickname come from? Uh, it came from my first year. We, uh, we had a, a player named Chris McCray. Uh, Chris was a real tough guy. I played a little bit with Toronto. Um, we had uh, one of our players, well, one of my, one of my guys drove me around my first year, Ian Ferguson. 
his uh, his brother was in a car accident and uh, he wasn't coming. So guys are like, where's Fergie? And I said, guys, uh, Ferg's brother was in a car accident, not coming. And after that, I, I, my mother got me hooked on the hockey news when I was 14 years old. So the hockey news would come to my house and I, I would read the stats on every team we'd play, every player we played against. And guys were like, Scoop, who's got the most points on Kingston? Well, it's uh, Vukovic. Okay, okay. So they just started, uh, Chris Cougar just started calling me Scoop. That 87 uh, Memorial Cup, uh, you guys go through the round robin perfect at 3-0 and and then ultimately lose that final to Medicine Hat. Looking back on it, Scott, does uh, did, did the layoff hurt? A little bit, or was Medicine Hat just that good? I think the layoff hurt us. Uh, they're a great team. No, not taken away. I played with Mark Peterson and Neil Brady in Kalamazoo. The, those guys had a talent, but we were better. But we were off those four days, and uh, unfortunately for us, the day before we went to the zoo, and it was I think the, with the humidity it was 32 degrees, and some guys got zapped emotionally and energy-wise, and can't make excuses. They just outplayed us. Trevor Linden had a great day. Uh, but those are the things you wish you could have done differently. I think we probably would have been better to play four games and not have that four days off. I wasn't going to play game four anyways. I had, had badly uh, broke my bursa in my, uh, my left knee. So when I was done three days later in Washington, they drained my knee. So I was barely playing. And when I played on the the final game, my knee was wrapped up pretty, pretty extensively. So I wouldn't have played, but I think it would have been better for the, the team that we would have played uh, the fourth game against Medicine Hat just to get it over with instead of having that time off and letting them play Laval or uh, Longgate twice. It was a much different game back then, but the year before that, you had 132 points, but went in the 12th round of the NHL draft. Why do you think that was? Uh, because the Iron Curtain came down. No, no. I just, I, I just think that at that time you had to be six one and about 198 pounds. Actually, three years ago, because I sell hockey equipment besides coaching, uh, I was in San Antonio at the NHL trainer show, and David Poyle was the guest speaker, and David was walking around. And he sees me, goes, Scott, if you're, uh, if you're 18 years old right now, I'd be signing to a multi-million dollar, multi-year contract. I'm like, thanks, Dave. That would really be appreciated right now. I think. My family would have appreciated that, but I guess, you know what, that was just the times. Unfortunately, for me, I got drafted by Washington. They were with Dale Hunter, uh, Bobby Gould, Mike uh, Carpenter, uh, Mike Ridley. It was hard for me to, and Michael Belonka just came over from Czechoslovakia. My second year was the sixth sentiment training camp. And uh, Brian Murray goes, Scott, we love you to stay. You've blown all the fitness testing away. You've done everything, but we're going to send you to Baltimore. Still saying, go down for two weeks conditioning, never come back. So, but. having said that, the game did provide you an opportunity to, to some degree, certainly to to see the world through your playing career. Do you have a favorite stop along the way? My favorite city is uh, Innsbruck, Austria. Um, I tell people that I would wake up in the morning. I lived in the bottom of the women's downhill Olympic downhill village. I get up in the morning and it'd be sunny in the mountains. You, you look in the, in the valley, you see clouds and you just try it through. And an hour later, the sun would open up and you look at the Alps and go, yeah, I guess I can play hockey. It's, it's not a bad living. My oldest son was born there. So it was quite the experience. I got some real good friends that I keep in contact. 
San Francisco is another beautiful city I played in. But getting to see the world and getting paid for free. My last, my last year in Essen, Germany, uh, we took all five of our kids to uh, Euro Disney. So I didn't have to pay for a flight to, to Paris. I just drove the, with a couple other teammates and their families. We drove the, the six hours from Essen to Paris and went to Euro Disney, spent three days there and went back. So it's a great That's experience. Great. Um, I want to get more into Europe in just a sec, but I want to go back to that Memorial Cup year because I want to put some blame on my co-host here. The general manager of Medicine Hat that year had the same last name as Farwell. So <laughs> it's no relation, though. I'm not going to bring up <laughs> Uncle Russ. Come okay. on. Uh, <laughs> that that year, you mentioned it, Scoop, about if I can call you Scoop, yeah, yeah about the okay. uh, uh, Super Series. Now. Yep. I'm sure we have some listeners in my age group. I was born in 86. What was the whole reason behind the super series thing? Because uh, there was no, how would I put it? There was no bidding to host the Memorial cup. The winning team wanted, uh, would automatically host it. But I think the CHL was trying to change things. And Mr. Branch, while North Bay was so powerful, in the, their division, we were powerful in our division with the Peets. And I, I can't remember who North was actually Kitchener, North Bay were battling in the other side. So it was made a decision that whoever ended up first place in, in their respective conferences would, would play the host, um, wouldn't get a buy like the number two team did, but would have to play against the number one on the other side to host the World Cup because there was so much. It was the hockey was starting to get, to get into the more big, bigger business side. It's what they didn't have the MasterCard or whatever they call it now, Memorial Cup. But the business side was starting to come into it because I remember going to the, the Sheridan in Scarborough for meetings. I'm like, ooh, I thought we were just here to play hockey. This thing's more than just hockey. So it seems a little and backwards that, looking back at it, where you take the two best teams in the best uh the best league pin them off in the first round to see who's going to play or host the memorial cup kind of puts the both those teams at a at a i don't know and behind the eight ball if you will well and that was part of the thing we were worn down so bad mm-hmm. getting to the after we got the Memorial cup it might have been even better if north bay got into play in the Memorial cup with us because i think it would have been they would have been they were tough uh Wayne McPhee, they had some mean guys. Lenny Social, I don't know how many times he speared me in the private parts during the during the, the 14 games we played. Like, Darren Turcotte and I were good friends, and Turk was like, Scoop, those were battles. I go, yeah, those were WWF, Royal Battle Royales. Like, people don't understand. We'd leave the rink with ice packs. I got slapped in the face by a girl leaving the rink on game six because I hit her boyfriend, supposedly. My sister chased her down the hall. She came up and asked me, are you Scott McCroy? And I'm like, I thought it was like, she was wanting an autograph. She hauled off and slapped me in the face. And my sister just snapped and she goes, oh my God. I go, yeah, that's just the competition. Like, it was crazy. Let's stay on the Memorial Cup theme for a moment here, because we're talking about this 87 Cup, Oshawa hosting and what, what it took to get there. But just a few years later, what many regard as the best Memorial Cup of all time, and I know you were busy with other things professionally in hockey, but you must have been keeping an eye on your, your form. Once a, once a general, always a general. What are your memories of that cup? Well, uh, Ian Fraser and Brent Greaves were both first-year rookies. They were rookies on our team. Fraz and Greaves are great guys, and they got that experience. And 
Frankie J and Mr. Daniels were running the team at the time. I was playing in Rochester. We were actually in the, the Calder Cup finals against Springfield. And I called back to the office and wished uh, Wayne and, and Frank the best luck and, and told and tell Rick, hey, good luck with this. Make sure you don't don't go to the zoo the night before uh, the final game. Make sure you guys, and I said, make sure you remind Fraz and Greasy that you get, you're lucky you're getting there the second time. Take advantage and get it done. What did it uh, mean? Of- Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to ask to you, looking back at, you know, the success you had that Memorial cup around the OHL championship, what, what did it mean to you to put on that general's uniform? Cause it is something special in Oshawa. Well, it's the pride. Uh, when I first got here, I lived in Whitby and you had to drive to, uh, to the civic and the, the sign said the city that motivates because general motors was the, the big plant in town and you just took that pride because when we won uh even game six the super series game seven two hours before we got to the rink like kids are getting three hours before the rink now two hours and uh mark lanyal and i would drive in and there was a lineup of people waiting to cheer for us as we got to the rink at at five o'clock for a 7 30 game and then when we won the uh Super Series, like it was crazy trying to get out. My brother's team with the Oshawa Midgets was playing, or with the Subway Midgets were playing Oshawa Midgets in the Air Canada Cup Regionals, right to host. And my brother had his whole team there. I had to secure 40 extra tickets for Game Seven. That was fun, and uh, so it was crazy. Like family in the dressing room, everybody hooped on. My uh, my future uh, in-laws, we we had a a party at their house after we won the uh, Super Series. And I had to write an exam at U of T at 9 o'clock in the morning. I think I got to bed at 4 o'clock. So it was fun. That, well, it was a lab, too. And when I cut open the pig, the formaldehyde, I thought it was going to toss my food. Oh. <laughs> so it, it, was, it was part of the thing. Like, Dean Martin, NHL referee, is talking to my father-in-law, who's vice president of EDS, and he's a very strict gentleman. And he's like, you know, Raymond, this is pretty good. And my father-in-law was like, you know what, Dean? It was good to watch you, but I got to go to bed because I got to talk to Ross Perot in a couple hours. And that was memories for me. Like we talked about the stuff at the rink, away from the rink was was uh, pretty special too. So, okay, but well, then game we beat we uh, we have to play against Kings in the first first round, and we come back and we played in Kings and we lost the first two games in the series, and the, we pulled into the Civic Auditorium and the tickets were going on sale. The next morning at eight o'clock for Memorial Cup, and there was—I don't know if you guys remember the old Civic—the whole upper bowl was full of people waiting to get their tickets at two o'clock in the morning. And, and you're down I two never... cob in the series already, so that yeah, shows yeah. you that right? These fans are—they they believe. Oh yeah, and they're like, "Hey, don't worry, you're gonna—you're gonna come back and win this." And we—we we actually won the next four easily, but it was like, "Okay, guys, we got this." Look at these, these people are crazy. My brother-in-law was in there. I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm getting tickets. I go, dumb, dumb. I can get you tickets. Uh, you're part, basically part of the family. And I said, I'll just buy your mom and dad an extra set of tickets. Don't worry about it. And my, <laughs> my billet family's dad was there and he's going, I need tickets. I go, Graham, you get four for Michael and Jeanette and Sandy. And I said, whatever we need, I'll just put it on the list. Like I had people come from somebody, can you get me tickets? Yeah, but you got to buy them. Like, 
I can't buy one ticket here and there. I said, I got to know how many you need because the next day we had to put our list in. I think I had 28 tickets. 18 were from Sudbury, so it was pretty funny. One more question on the Memorial Cup because it gets me thinking, especially when you talked about the way it was back in 87, what you had to go through and how there wasn't any formal bidding. And of course we know how it works now. And we also know that just a few years ago when Oshawa was in the bidding for the hundredth and it went to Regina instead, there are a lot of things to complain about around the past 14 months in the world with COVID-19, but on the hockey side, how are you as an alumni feeling about the team that the generals were going to be putting on the ice this year and likely the Memorial cup, at least they were one of the two teams in the running to host. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel for the kids. That's, that's the, the biggest, uh, biggest frustration of this. You look around, like I see uh, you watch them playing all the kids are playing, having coach and George. So we had kids, uh, Oh, we got guys, buddies playing here and there. But I used to go and watch every Sunday or whenever we weren't playing in Georgetown. I would go and watch the generals. I'd be in the stands, standing with the scouts just to see them. Like Philip Palomacino, uh, Ty Tulio, all those. I feel sorry for those kids because uh, Roger and Wally and Nemer, they they put a real good team together. And you could see that, you know what, they're, they're on the brink playing the top teams. Like P-Roll come in and they – they played people really strong. It, even Ottawa, and it's like, you know what? Those kids not getting ch- an opportunity to live that experience. Like people say, oh, you, you must feel bad you lost in the World Cup. I got there. There's a lot of kids that play in the OHL or in the CHL. Don't even get a sniff. But we got to the final game. Yeah, we lost, but it's it's an experience. It's something you never t- you never forget. Like Jeff Hackett says to me, he goes, I wish I was better that day. I'm like, hack. Trevor Linden was just so good that that game he he got lucky and got they got the bounces. It's a one game and you never know what can happen in one game. During that run, you guys had to play. We talked about it, North Bay in a seven game series twice and a seven game series against Peterborough. Which of yeah. those two teams in the seven game series was harder on the team? Was it the Peterborough series or was it the North Bay series? It was the North Bay because uh, they were just. Bird had them so tenacious. Uh, Peterel had Ty. They had Robbie Murray, Chris King. Uh, you know, Kinger and I are good friends. I got a Charlie Horse, and I think it was game two. Uh, I couldn't play a couple games, but we had guys like Frey, Fraser, Brian Hunt, all these young young guys. They stepped up because that was part of our our nomenclature in in Oshawa is that the depth, like nobody was arrogant to each other in that point. Like we did everything together. Our rookie initiation guys looked after each other. There was no BS. You know, you had the responsibility. Like I said, uh, Jeff Hackett, my last year was Mark Lindell, our responsibility rookie. We made sure he got home, to take care of him. And my my two oldest guys went to Western. They lived at his house. It's it's just the bond. But Pierre, they had a they had three or four guys good mean. North Bay, everybody played. It was just a war, like. I still remember Shane Doyle in game seven, uh, Chop and his, his cousin Trapper taking a five-minute major. Everyone goes, oh, we're in trouble. Well, he actually broke Reader's hand. The Reader couldn't catch the puck properly, and we end up beating uh, North Bay. I'm like, is, that, is he not your cousin, Doyle? He goes, yeah, but we're playing for it. 
I don't give a care if it's my cousin or not. I'll, I'll drink beers with him later sometime. I'm not worried about him. Like, okay, Donnie, no problem. <laughs> okay, if if North Bay was the tougher out uh, that playoff run, but the the team name has come up, we can't talk about the Oshawa Generals without talking about the arch nemesis. So, what does that? What did that rivalry mean to you? What does the Oshawa Peterborough rivalry mean to you when you hear that, Scott? In the old, when we played, that was old. How would I put it? You circled those on the chart going, okay, for me, my first couple of years, uh, I get a second uh, bicep pad put on my arm because Bruce Shubham and Larry Shaw and Kevin McDonald would just cross-check the crap out of me on the power player anytime they could. They were, it was just a battle. Like people talk about uh, fighting a hockey. People don't even know that. Well, some people know we had three brawls with the Peterborough Pizza my last year, but we actually had a fourth one. We had a brawl in the hallway at the Mem Center. If <laughs> if it ever if ever there was ever video of it, people would be like, "What do you mean?" I go, "Why do you think now the visiting team in Peterborough is across the hallway?" We we brawled. Uh, Kinger, I think it was Kinger and Ty hits Hackett, and they go by the bench and they they wave their hands. Come on, who's coming? Both benches empty out. So here we go. There's a bench clearing brawl. I had a, a video sent to me standing with Craig Conroy because Peter was playing Oshawa and somebody hit the goalie. He goes, well, the old days, that would have been a brawl. I said, yeah, like this. He goes, yeah, it was funny. I go, the best part of Craig after this brawl was as we're leaving the leaving the rink, we're going down the hallway and uh, Terry Bouvier was the assistant coach and him and Paul. Paul Terry was he was a big man. Like he bench pressed 350 easily. He was an athletic man. So they're chirping each other F this, F that. And Dean Morton, who I mentioned earlier, is a Peter boy. So Dean's brother smacks Terry Bouvier on the side of the head. So it's like a free for all. Guys are fighting in the hallway with their skates on the cement and get it all broken up. And Chetel goes to coach. Who's starting? He goes, I don't even know who's in the penalty box. Uh, just sharpen the first six guys and make sure Hackett's skates are ready to go. And finally, it comes back out. Yeah, these guys are in the penalty box, so don't worry about their skates. Sharpen everybody else's skates. Get them ready so we can play. But it was the old days. And me, I was drafted by Washington, so seven of those guys were in the Washington camp. So the OHL guys always hung around because the Western Western guys hung around. The Quebec guys all hung around. So here's a – I'm fighting against guys that I – in early September, I'm in camp, and, and all of July, I was in, in Washington hanging out with them, working out. And they're like, hey, you want to fight? I go, no. I go, okay, I'll just tell on you. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> so it's a bonus sometimes. You know people are like, no, I don't want to fight either. No, I could. I'm done. My hands are sore. Those really were the olden days. Nowadays, I think players are, you know, half the teams are meeting up in the Zamboni entrance after the game, or they're texting each other and calling each other. Those are the old days where you actually, it was legit hate. Well, and you talked about Kay and I were best friends. Like, yeah. We'd still, we'd had the one brawl. Actually, Kay just told you, Scoop, come here, just let's stay here. And I'm like, yeah, no, no problem. I'm not getting into it either. He goes, if somebody's getting beaten, you grab your guy, I'll grab my guy. I go, okay, no problem. But today, the kids, like, it's a different world, but the kids don't understand. Like, I, I still remember Greg Bay hitting Petra Matican behind the bench and Petra got cut for 28 stitches. That was after we brawled Thursday night. We played Sunday in in Oshawa, and Greg hit 
Petrie, and Petrie cut the corner of the boards, and that was doily snaps. So Shane's holding on to Luke Richardson, and everybody's holding off. They're fighting, and I can still see Shane looking at coach going, can I punch him? Nope. And then somebody hit somebody else, and the coach goes, okay. And he hit Luke and knocked out his teeth. I'm like, okay. That's those, those days are done, and they shouldn't be around, but those were part of the things, the memories. You go, oh, that's when the game was a little bit tougher. The kids, no, the game has changed, and it, I think it's changed in the right reason, and it's made hockey a little bit better, but I still would like to see kids be able to be more respectful to each other. Like, there's some kids taking liberties that shouldn't take liberties. So. I noticed on your resume, Scott, there are a, a number of big-name coaches. We've talked a lot about Paul Terrio, obviously, from – from junior with Oshawa, but moving on from there, you see, you see Terry Murray's name. You see Ken Hitchcock's name. Randy Carlisle was an assistant. Uh, who had the biggest impact on you as a coach? Which Paul, uh, I, I've taken a lot from um, all the guy, every gentleman that coached me. I had Larry Plo was my first pro coach. Larry was the president of the St. Louis Blues. Larry made a comment, you'd be nice to the people you see on the way up because they're the same people you're going to see on the way down. And I use that that line with all my players. I said, you might think you're good now, uh, but re- respect everybody you're working with and, and you're going to play with because you might need their help some other time. Uh, Terry Murray, we called him the grinner because Terry didn't smile a lot, but he, was, he, he created a lot of work ethic uh, in Baltimore. We didn't have a great team. That was the year that uh, Washington and Binghamton split and both went separate ways. Binghamton, Hartford put their uh, players in Binghamton, Washington put it in Baltimore. So we were getting uh, guys coming in every second week because at that time they didn't have 50 guys under contract. So we were playing with 18 guys under contract. Baltimore was bringing guys in. So, but Terry kept saying, just keep working guys. Doesn't matter if we're winning or losing, it's how hard you work. Um, John, John Von Boxberg, Donnie Lever in Rochester, really good. Um, Hitch, how would I put Hitch was probably the b- best mental strength coach ever had. Like he would, he, I use his philosophies where, where he had a leadership group of six to eight guys that if he had to get something across in the room or the room had to get something to him, it went through those six or eight guys. Hitch was great. Uh, <clears throat> I don't, we talked about it earlier, Mike. Uh, I had just come back from Europe and so I was a little bit out of shape. So Claude uh, Noel was the assistant coach. He goes, okay, McCrory, uh, Torch, let's go. We're going in. We're going to start working out. We're going to get in shape here. And Torch was like, oh, here we go. So get around the corner. Claude and I get on a bike. Uh, Mike's got the treadmill and in comes Hitch. And we're like, what are you doing here? Uh, I'm dating a girl. It, uh, eventually becomes his wife. He goes, I want to take them, take the her kids for a skate. I got to lose some weight. So do you guys. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. But I got traded out of uh, Kalamazoo to Houston, and Hitch didn't want to want to trade me. But um, NHL Dallas was sending players down, and he took me for lunch. He goes, I don't want to do this, but he goes, Scott, you got to do, you got to be moved for your career to be better to keep playing because if you stay here, I got to take out a lineup, and some 20 year old's going to take your spot. So I, I always respected Hitch. I saw him in Philadelphia when I took uh, Oshawa, a team down for a tournament. Hitch gave us a little tour. Randy Carlo was probably, how would I put it, the most unique guy that played 
that knew the game so well, but made jokes about it. So his message would come across in a joke. But when you pissed him off, you know, when, when Kitty was pissed off because he would go a little bit brighter red, and you knew he, a few different F-bombs. Growing up in summer, I used to skate with Randy as, as a 14, 15-year-old. I skated with him, Ron Dugay, Ron Shutt, Mike Flynn, all those guys. They skate at the rink <clears throat> where my brothers work, so I got to jump on the ice. Randy was X's and O's because we had John Perron as our head coach, and I had John in, the year before in San Fran. John was a great guy, but X's and O's weren't his uh, his forte, put it this way. Uh, I don't know. A couple guys made the comment. They won the Stanley Cup because of Larry Robinson. I think those guys did a lot of the coaching. John was just the talker and the motivator, but the X's and O's were done by those guys, and that's what Kitty was for us. Kitty was he was a great guy. Like uh, We'd have team meals, and everybody would be leaving away, and uh, there was a couple of us that were on the kind of on the plump size that were playing. We weren't uh, fitness specimens like the kids are today. So we'd have a team meal in Chicago and there would, the last part of the meal was, uh, there was ice cream with chocolate, there was caramel sauce. And I would always wait to see if he would leave because I liked to have my ice cream after my uh, chicken parm and uh, pasta. And it, in Chicago, it was, hey, McCrory, Scoop, get out of here. I go, no. He goes, okay, go get us two. You get an ice cream for me and ice cream for me <laughs> and you. I'm like, okay, Katie, no problem. He goes, we got to make sure all the guys leave, then you can have your ice cream. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but the next day, he'd be like, okay, get in, get on the scale, weigh in. I'm like, yeah, come on, Katie. No, you're overweight. You got to lose five pounds. I'm like, all right, here we go. That sounds like me and Pope on the road. I'm always yeah. stealing an extra dessert. <laughs> <laughs> Talking them into well, his guess- suit jacket pockets. <laughs> you, like I said, you- some of the meals on the road are pretty good. You played in San Francisco. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty sweet spot to play. Uh, it was an unbelievable spot to play. I got I got traded out of Houston, which was another great spot. I was pretty, uh, not going to lie to you, my wife and my two oldest sons had just flown in. My wife's a teacher, so she took a week off school to come in for Christmas holidays. And Pete Deneen calls me the next day and goes, oh, Scott, I just traded to San Fran. I go, Pete, Beth and the kids. Uh, just flew in he goes oh I forgot all about that but we got to move you you're you're not playing great I'm going well I'm not getting any ice time here like really he goes I go where'd you train me oh San Fran I'm like so I sat with my wife and I'm like Mark Lanyon and I played together in Oshawa we were roommates in Houston I'm like I don't know want to continue playing and he goes scoop go to San Fran see what it's like so I flew to San Fran and it was a great town. Almost flew in, the, landed in the fog, couldn't see the runway, got it raining for the first three days. But we were treated like uh, an NHL team. The vice president of our team used to be with the Golden State Warriors. So Monday night football, the last Monday night uh, game, San Fran was playing Minnesota on the sidelines. Uh, John Purvis was my winger. He scored 50, 50 goals, so the start of our playoffs. Uh, Dodgers playing the Giants. John gets his throw opening pitch they bring in the whole team on the on the bench like uh we had uh jerry rice worked out the same gym as us uh barry bonds it was like it was unbelievable i took took my uh son to the nutcracker not got everything free took my wife to a fan of the opera because they thought we were nhl everything i played presidio golf course half moon bay like we didn't pay for anything in town we made a phone call and 
the uh, VP would make a call, Presidio, eight guys, hey, and Rod Langway was like, okay, uh, let's go. We're going to Half Moon Bay. You make the call? Yeah, yeah. Round was $180, $180 a round, and that was back in 1998. And we didn't pay a cent to play. All you had to do was leave two tickets for the, the golf pro the next game. And they wanted awesome. tickets against to, to to LA because that was a big rivalry. Like, McGuire and Bonds, they were at their games. They come down the dressing room. Yeah, you guys kicked LA's ass. That's great. Well, okay. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, Farwell. If I can just have one follow up there. You played with Rod Langway in yeah. San Francisco. What was it like walking yeah. into a room where Rod Langway's there? Well, Rod. I haven't been with him in Washington. He was, how would I put it? He was a god. And like I said, tried to say the earlier before we got cut off, Rod took all the first year guys, Dale Hunter, Mike Gardner, all the the captains in Washington would bring all the first year rookie guys to their houses for barbecue during training camp. Or, uh, we're Washington used to bring us down two weeks at a time in the summertime to train at the University of Maryland. So like Dale, any of those guys that are around would bring the guys over for uh, for a barbecue dinner just to introduce them and you know just rod rod didn't forget a name like uh, he was he was the king of kings uh, that's why he's in the hall of fame because that's the type of guy a teammate he was he had respect for everybody and looked after them so there was a sorry there was a story you were telling us about being on the end of the bench yeah, so my second uh, NHL game, exhibition game, uh, we're playing Boston, and Randy uh, Hogarth, Ronnie Hogarth was refereeing, and Scotty Stevens, I think, tripped, I'm trying to think it was actually Randy Burge from Boston. It was a bird kind of gave a little flop, and uh, I was sitting on the end of the line. Rob was the defense. I was kind of the separation, and uh, Brian Murray's foot came came through, and he started yelling at Hogarth. A hoagie goes, hoagie, Jesus, kiss me first, and we're gonna bang me. I'm like, I started, I was laughing, and Rod kicked me out. He goes, don't laugh, don't laugh. <laughs> I'm just pulling my stick. Oh, okay, good. So, luckily, I didn't laugh because Brian, Brian could get nasty, but it, it was hilarious. Rod goes, yeah, you, you kept it together. He goes, never heard him talk like that. I, go, I never picked up on his uh, on his list before he got when he got pissed off. His list got really intensified. So, it's hilarious. We got to talk about some of the, the beautiful places like Innsbruck and San Fran, not a bad place to play some hockey. I don't know what Kalamazoo was like as a city to play in, but I, I do hear that there was a Coke machine in the dressing room that may have caused some, I don't know what it did, but I, I know there's a story about the Coke machine in the dressing room. I wasn't really there that long, bag. they had a machine like Kalamazoo. It's Kalamazoo ball. God bless Kalamazoo right now because they're making the Pfizer uh, vaccine there and hopefully everybody's going to get their shots. Kalamazoo, when I was there, was either snowing or raining. Great town, great fans. Uh, they love their hockey. Uh, it's an industrial town, not beating around the bush, uh, but great people. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of good golf courses. But the Coke machine, they had different things. And Corky Osborne was our, uh, was our trainer. Jamie Healy, who's assistant, Equipment manager with uh, Columbus was our equipment guy there. And I remember uh, Hitch getting pissed off. He kicked it a few times because Hitch could get riled up. But I don't know many stories. I, I wasn't, unfortunately for me, I was only there for three months. So I didn't get too many stories from that. Torch might have liked to indulge in the Coke machine, though. 
No comment. Uh, you, <laughs> where do you, you think I got the story from? Yeah, exactly. You said, well, I, I, okay, that's where I figured it came from. Mike. Yeah. Ask Scoop about the uh, Coke machine in the dressing room. Okay. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Torque yet. Do you have any good Torch stories? Yeah. Well, like I said, this, the time, like the, the, uh, the bike Torch, yeah. uh, we had really, really good goal time. We had uh, Manny Fernandez and Mike there. And then <clears throat> about three weeks before I was, I got traded, my old roommate in Rochester, Darcy Walker, got sent down from Dallas on a, on a conditioning stint. And there was three goalies at the time. And Manny, Manny had a personality about him. Manny was like always serious. Torch was just a lovable guy. And, uh, we were walk was at practice and walk goes, okay, let's go for, go for lunch. And Torch is like, where are we going? He goes, you tell me where you want to go, Torch? He goes, really? I said, Torch walks buying. Uh, take advantage. He goes, okay, let's go to this place. I go, is Manny coming? He goes, no, nah, he ain't going to come. He's too grouchy. <laughs> I can't believe Torch questioned picking where to go eat. Oh, no, but, Darcy and uh, Richard Mavichuk had both got sent out with Peter Zezzo. So there was three of them sent down and they were taking the guys for lunch. I'm like, you're going Torch. He goes, really? I go, yeah, pick a spot. He goes, oh, let's go there. I think it was, it was a steak and seafood place. I said, they're not going to care. They're making good money. I said, yeah. walk owes me a few, a few meals. I used to drive him for a year to the rink. So I said, he owes me a couple of things. When did you, decide or know Scott that you were going to get into coaching? Uh, I think I knew probably when I was playing in Innsbruck, uh, my fifth year pro, I, I like my nickname scoop. I always watched the stats and I always listened to what the coaches said, kind of a, became a student of the game. And, and it really dawned on me when, when, I had my lunch with Hitch. He goes, you know what? You're going to be a great coach. You'd be a really good coach because you study the game and you understand the game. He goes, I can scream at you and you, you don't get frustrated. You, you take what I'm trying to say. I said, well, I was, Paul Terrell kind of told us that. He goes, listen to my message. Don't worry about what I, how I say it to you. Just get my message. And he goes, that's the way it is. And that's, for me, I just became a student of, of the game. I, I was just a good student in, in school, and I just thought, you know what, uh, I'll, I'll come by and give back to the game. So for the first, after I retired, I, I coached my kids in hockey and lacrosse, and then uh, when it was time for my youngest guys that they were out near the end, I thought, you know what, I had own, own Whippy Fury Tier 2 team. I said, you know what, might as well start coaching it. So that's where I got back into it. Or coaching, it was 14 years of pro when you, yeah. many of them, <clears throat> excuse me, overseas. What were some of the craziest things you saw overseas? Obviously it wasn't the KHL that it is now and, you know, maybe not suitcases of money, but what were some of the things overseas that kind of caught you off guard, if you will? Well, I'll tell you the story. My first pro game, I'm playing in Innsbruck uh, in Europe, real, not exhibition game. We, we went to Milan and, we went out for warm-up and there was like 50 people in the stands and in Milan, the forum is, it was built after the Montreal forum. They copied it to a T and I'm looking around and Kevin LaValle, who's playing from Milan, 
play with my brother played in Calgary and St. Louis and Kevin was a good, real good family friend. And I was a stick boy with that. My brother's teams all the way up. I'm like, Hey Beaver, is there any fans? He goes, Oh yeah. This is your first game in Europe. I go, yeah. He goes, Oh, talk to me after the game. I'll, I'll buy you a beer or two. So go in the room, like just four other Canadians on the team. I'm like, we're going to play in front of 50 people. They're like, this is brutal. What do we, I'm like, okay, whatever. So go up the stairs to go on the rink and the place is packed. There's uh, flares, green flares, red flares, because they were the devils. And I'm like, Oh my God. So sitting on the bench halfway through the first period and firecrackers going off, they let a kid, one of the young kids on our team, like we had two 18 year olds that they took stats. They were in the armies. They're professional hockey players, but they're in the army. So they had to sit on the bench with their blankets and take stats. They lit the kid's shirt on fire. I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy. But the, the, you talk about fanatics in, in soccer or football. Fanatics in hockey are like crazy. My, my, uh, one of my, my first year in Schwinnigan in Germany, my mom and dad had come over to visit my wife and my kids. And it's 4.30 and the game's at 7 o'clock. And I got the windows. It's a nice uh, fall day. So we got the windows open in our apartment. And, my dad's like, what's that music? I go, it's the rink. Oh, it's their concert on? I go, no, they're, the fans are waiting for us to get to the rink. He goes, really? I said, yeah. You're going to take my car, drop me off, and come back and take mom and Beth and the kids to the game. So I, it's uh, four quarter to five, so pull in the rink, and the parking lot's full, and the bands, but our cars are covered in uh, wild wings, and my name's on the car everything. So it's like the party in the Red Sea. And my dad's like, what's that about? Dad, they recognize our cars. And when you go up, they'll open up so we can go back to the apartment door. He goes, this is crazy. And he goes, after the game, he goes, they never stop, stop screaming. And if you had an assist, they said, 14 McCrory. I go, yeah, that they, that's how they announce the goals here. They, they get into it. That's why it's so fun playing in Europe because it's an experience. Like I took, my my two youngest guys, Oshawa Minor, Bantam Team, Triple A Team, eight years ago, we went over to uh, – did a tour. We started in Austria where I played, went to Italy, went to Switzerland, went to Germany, and we ended up at the game in Schwinnigen. And they announced that I was in the stands, and people started shouting my names. And my parents were like, are you like a god here? I go, no, it's because you play here that's – you become known and people are coming up to get autographs. They're like, I guess you were something special. I said, no, that's just their their loyalty and their their respect for guys that came over. I spoke German, so I kind of got a little bit more because I would speak to them in German. Some guys go over to Europe and they stub their nose up to people and don't intertwine with the, the, the local community where I got ingrained with them. So people, I had a kind of a, a really good following and, and too, so it was good. When you watch the game today, Scott, and uh, maybe even you watch a, a power play that's not working or is working well or whatever, what do you like? Who do you like to watch? Who do I like to watch? Uh, I like Toronto's power play. Um, I just wish they would move the puck a little bit quicker. Actually, I was quite surprised by Ottawa's power play the other night. Uh, against Montreal kind of reminded me of our power play. And I think DJ's kind of stolen some stuff and making it work. 
but it, it, it looks good. Uh, how would I put it? St. Louis has had St. Louis has a really good power play too. Uh, so does Vegas. The, those teams that move the puck quickly and take advantage of defensemen or forwards getting out of out of position are really effective to watch. I, I'm not a big fan of the, the drop back. I I, I kind of hate it because uh, in Oshawa we had a power play breakout that defended against because uh, certain teams would put four guys across the line. So Paul had, had this power play breakout. Mike, you, you can dump it, but everybody's all oh, analytics say you dump, you're not going to get the puck. Well, if you can't get, enter the blue line, what's what's the, the benefit of analytics? If you've got two guys against one, if you can't get the puck away from one that one guy, then those two guys aren't working hard enough. That's my analogy. So, But I, I like uh, – I really like the least power play. I just like to see them move a little bit quicker and use the back door a little bit more. You mentioned you know, all the places you played over in Europe and going to the different countries and flares going off in an arena, which I still just blows my mind. Um, was there a place that sucked to go into an arena-wise, and was it overseas or was it Windsor? <laughs> No, I, I love going to Windsor. That was usually point night. My last <laughs> two years, there was good points. My first year in Windsor was a bit of a scary, scary situation. But my last two years in Windsor, those were point nights. What was the scary situation? I took a slap shot in the face. Oh. But uh, luckily, it, it hit the hit the side. We wore the we called them the Star Wars the SK six thousand helmets. It hit me flat on the side instead of on the edge. I was lucky. I just I bruised my cheek, but uh, that was the first time I, I laid down a block of slap shot, and it was the last time I laid down a block of slap shot without a visor on. And so that was, but probably the the worst rink to go to it for me was uh, it was uh, Glens Falls, New York, and uh, the Detroit Red Wings had a their franchise there. Uh, it was hard. Uh, the fans were not nice. I only I had one game where I actually got four goals, but other than that, it was it was like paying the Peter Pizza or a Battle Royal. Them in the Hershey Park Arena. My first couple of years in Hershey it was there was a, it was intimidating when you had big teams playing a small rink. It, it was hard. Today the the games changed. Those kids wouldn't get intimidated by guys like Kevin McCarthy or Mike Stuthers or old teammate like John Stevens that on the back end. Philly had about six or seven Jeff Chicken on the back end and Hershey that would that could crush guys. So as a one 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 rink in, in Germany at Krefeld, because uh, you could smoke in the rink. So you'd come out after a warm up and be a yellow cloud above above the, the score clock because you know, everybody was smoking and so you leave the rink, your equipment would smell like uh, marble lights for the next two days. So you'd have to air them out when you got back to the rink. Of course. As a Sudbury boy, any nostalgia for the old arena up there, which hasn't changed since you were a kid, for sure? Well, the, I grew up, I used to, the Queen used to be in Section 8. My mom and dad sat just under there. And Kay, Kay Whitmore and I used to play uh, mini stick hockey in the corner because how the rink was built, there was like a butt end and then the turn. So there was like a little lip that you could, the goalie could play there and you could shoot. But the old wolf going across, that, that was... That was nostalgia for me. So my last year, we beat them 
think it was eight one, and I only had to hear the wolf yell once, so it was good. Being from Sudbury, was there any interaction with Eddie Shack? Yeah, um, for me, when I started hockey, I played at Riverside Playground, which was right near the armory, and Eddie's dad was the uh, the rink attendant, so he took care of the rink, and Eddie's dad would uh, think it was five years old playing. Well, they call it Timbit hockey now, and it was minus 37 degrees out. <clears throat> so we were playing another playground, and after the game, Mr. Shaq would have the hot chocolates there. And as soon as the parents take take off your skates, and he'd be like, oh, no, leave the skates off. He'd rub your feet, and here's your hot chocolate. So uh, Mr. Shaq and my dad became pretty good friends. So uh, Eddie came home one summer, so I got to go to Mr. Shaq's house and get an autograph by Eddie. So Eddie was uh, – well, the pop shop back then was huge in Sudbury. So Eddie was uh, he was one of those guys he looked up to watching Channel 5 in Sudbury. Uh, you will watch the Leaf game and you wanted to see him go down the track like Eddie Shack, So Lemon lime. That was my go-to at the pop shop. Uh, root beer for me. Okay. All right. It's pop shop. Got a Pope's like, what's a pop shop? Sorry, guys. Forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is usually the point of the podcast uh, where I say we – keep our guests to an hour and we always get there pretty quick. But Popey says, wait, I got, I got just one more. Fair. And no rush guys. I, okay. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in lockdown. So I got time. <laughs> well, <laughs> just a couple weeks ago, we got to the hour point, but we had only asked Sherry Basson one question. So we had That's to right, extend yeah. it a little bit. <laughs> There's um, <a> talk. <laughs> were, were you with Georgetown in Oh four? No. Okay, good. So you didn't cut me. Um, <laughs> You'd remember. Oh, my brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think I went up for about two skates. and They're like, yeah, get out of here, kid. Um, you mentioned earlier when j- just leading up to the podcast about Vegas. Did you play in Vegas bef- like in minor pro? Yeah, with San Francisco and uh, Houston and Kalamazoo, Vegas had a team called the Thunder in the Eye. Uh, Radic Bonk and those guys were there. So we used to fly in. And that was the days where you, you, you'd fly in on uh, private, not private, but commercial airlines. So you always had to stay over. So you'd circle those dates. Yeah, we're going. That's it. Give me another story about uh, Torch. We're playing in Kalamazoo, and I was a healthy scratch in Vegas. And uh, there's eight guys at the Progressive Caribbean Stud Poker table. Torch's roommate, Mike, uh, Mark Lawrence, pulled the uh, Royal Flush. So Torch was sitting right beside him. Torch was like sour as can be because Larry made, Lava made $53,000 and everybody had to leave. And Hitch goes, Scoop, you're not playing. You stay here. Make sure he doesn't spend that money and make sure he gets to his room before the game tonight. I said, okay, no problem. If I, well, I do have one more though. Okay. Um, just to bring it right back to the general days. We've mentioned a guy's name numerous times throughout this podcast and he's synonymous with the generals for 40 plus years, Brian Boyce. What does he mean to that organization? Chetto is the blood, the glue that keeps everything going. Uh, doesn't matter if you played one game or if you're in a training camp or you spent three, four, five, some guys spent five years in Oshawa. Chetto's your, uh, for me, it was like a big brother. OHL All-Star game, Shets was our trainer, so we, him and I have a little inside scoop on some stuff. But uh, Chets is for now he's he's like he's like a 
a confidant for those kids. I think I hopefully they're still talking to him like we did because there's some stuff that he would he would do for us that uh, not too many people do. I I have a great appreciation for for Brian because I know what he went through my first year when Bruce Melanson died in practice and Brian was the last guy to see him and it was pretty hard and so Brian and I have kind of a different relationship on that standpoint so he's seen everything he's experienced everything Uh, uh, I actually gave him him, his alumni jersey a couple weeks ago and I could tell that Chetto wants to be involved in hockey playing hockey again because that's his love uh, I met his his parents were great people. Uh, Chet's another guy we've been to his house, and his parents were all involved. His sisters involved in the community. He's like he's a like an older brother to me. So, you know, Scott, we've been we've been doing this podcast, the OHL Stories version of it, for a few months now, and yours is the first name submitted by a listener that says, "Track down Scott McCrory, get him on the podcast." So clearly. You left an impression over those three years with the Jens. Lowell Williamson was the emailer. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Don't tell me he's your brother-in-law now or something. Come no, on, this was. <laughs> that's, no, that's that's. that's uh, I appreciate that. No, it's you know what great times like people go, oh, you're in the OJHL and this and that. I'm like, listen, the OHL has has a, a huge part of my life. Uh, I coach coaching the OJHL for kids that go to the OHL or go in the NCAA. I just want kids playing the game and playing as long as they can and get whatever they can out of it. Get that better people skills and better better lifestyle because your discipline, having discipline to play hockey, especially the OHL or the OJHL, there's not a lot of people that can say they've done it and it's it's hard. Like I had a buddy go, man, it must be pretty hard to play pro. I said, people think it's all glamour and the OHL is all, all glamour and, and you get all the accolades, but there's a lot of discipline. Like I never grad, I graduated from high school, but I never went to my graduations, my grade 12 and 13, because we were in Kingston and Belleville. So I wasn't fortunate. Those things you, you, you didn't get to experience, got to experience formals, but you give up a lot of things. Like guys are talking about uh, all the dedication. Like, yeah, there is like Shane Wright's going to do this. Well, Shane Wright has had, had to give up a lot of things. To get to where he's at, Connor McDavid, same thing. Like, you don't think Wayne Gretzky and those guys gave up stuff? Well, they gave up a lot. Now they're getting rewarded, but there's a lot of guys that didn't get rewarded with big NHL contracts, but they got rewarded with better social skills and better personal skills. So that's what we're trying to do. And guys, and I, like you, giving back by doing what you're doing is it's huge. That's for me. Like, people ask me, what do you think of COVID? I said, it sucks because I think the mental state for these kids. And for the and the staff, like I can tell you, I'm going through withdrawals. I walk 10 to 12 kilometers a day now. People used to call me big chubby kid. Now I'm the only reason I walk because I'm bored. Hitch would be proud though. <laughs> Hitch would, and you know what? The last time I saw Hitch, he looked like he put a little weight back on. And for Ken, I hopefully everything's good. But he he had a heart like. He could be a mean SOB in the way he, he brought things across, but he has the biggest heart. I don't know, Torch might, might have said the same thing. Him and Torch used to get at it, but it was because Hitch loved Torch and he wanted to see him get better. So, 
Scott, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to share your stories with us. And we'll have to watch for you at a Jens game coming up, especially as this alumni pro, uh, project you're working on comes together. We'd love to catch up in person when we're at the, what is it, the Tribute Communities Arena moving forward. Well, you never know <laughs> what it'll be called in three, three years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, well, I look forward to it. And I appreciate the time, guys, and keep doing what you're doing and stay safe. And hopefully everybody gets uh, immunized here sooner or later though we can get the kids back on the ice playing because they need to and we need the fans to start being able to get in the rinks because i think people need that as well that interaction the podcast super friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.